Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Talk radio breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and the Times. Know your times. We have now uh, managed to get uh, Professor Paul Cosford on the line. He's Emeritus Medical Director at Public Health England and joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning, and Good morning. I'm sorry for the delay in getting to you. No problem at all. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Um, obviously, um, a lot of pressure on the government, a lot of pressure on Public Health England right now about uh, the failure to ramp up the testing capacity. The government keeps saying they're doing so. They keep saying that it's something that needs to be done. What's gone wrong? Can I just first of all say, look, um, with the numbers of people uh, getting coronavirus and sadly the numbers of people dying increasing, of course, all of our... Um, uh, uh, all of our thoughts and best wishes are with those people and their families and friends. It's a salutary time for us all. It makes it absolutely clear that we all need to do everything that we can, whether that's as a member of the public with the social distancing measures or my organisation and across government, of course, with testing, with making sure the NHS has uh, got all that it needs to be able to deal with, with, with this situation. So I wanted to make that point first of all. Okay. Uh, in terms of testing, uh, I think it's really important to distinguish different types of testing that we're undertaking. So there's testing that we're doing for patients who need it medically because they've got the coronavirus. That's been going on from the outset. We actually designed the test. We spread it through uh, laboratories in Public Health England and then across the NHS. That has always been sufficient to meet the needs of patients who need testing and with some spare capacity. It's still being ramped up. We're now at just under 13,000 tests being available every day. That will get to 25,000 by the middle of April. And there is some spare capacity within that to test for uh, members of NHS staff, which is the second priority. Uh, and we absolutely need to do much more of that. Uh, you will have heard the figure of 2,000 from yesterday yeah. uh, started testing, obviously focused on those working in the most critical areas, critical care and others, um, uh, but nowhere near enough. And that's where our absolute focus is now to well, increase those but, numbers. But why is your focus on that now? Because we know we've got all these frontline NHS staff who, who can't get yes. themselves tested, who aren't able to work. One in four doctors in some uh, NHS trusts, we're told. Um, 
there have been lots of criticism of the government. And again, the buck stops with them, no question at all. But also criticism of Public Health England as a, a bureaucracy, a centralised bureaucracy. A lot of very highly paid people whose job it is to look after our public health when it really matters, uh, rather than telling us off for eating a McDonald's or having a milkshake and the like. Um, have you actually failed to deliver? Because there's been some concern. We've got university labs sitting empty. We've got hospital labs unable to get hold of equipment. We've got private labs not even being asked to this date. Uh, to, to join in and that it's been actually uh, the, the centralised bureaucracy and the insistence on Public Health England carrying out all these tests that has actually been the problem. So it's important to distinguish the roles of different organisations in this but in a, in a way from the public point of view that doesn't make any difference. Our role has been to make absolutely certain that patients get tested when they need to uh, and any spare capacity in that can be used for uh, other purposes. The NHS staff testing uh, clearly important from that. It's you, no, wait, wait, hold on a minute. You're, you're, not, you're saying Public Health England aren't responsible for the testing of anyone other than patients? I'm saying that the whole testing, um, the whole testing regime, the different strategy has a whole range of different organisations taking a part to it. One strand is testing of patients. That has been working effectively. Another strand is then to ramp up using all the private uh, laboratories, the university laboratories and others. We're supporting that. Absolutely. Well, hold it's on a minute. No, no. With all due respect, we're supporting that. Look, you know, we are quite a few weeks into this. We're a couple of months into having some knowledge yeah. about the, the threat of, of coronavirus. Um, why is Germany able to carry out three times as many tests per capita that, uh, and, than, than we are? Um, it, it's a bit but, late on, on, the, on the 2nd of April to be ramping that up now, isn't it? So there's, there's different parts of uh, different organisations that are leading different parts of the strategy. We're not leading the bit that brings in all the university labs and the private labs, but we are absolutely supporting that. That is underway and, and that will be uh, increasing over coming days and weeks. Was of it course, underway soon right. enough, well, in your view? Yes. Yes, it was. But of course, you're right that we would all like this to have happened much sooner and for the uh, difficulties in, in getting the increase in testing numbers much more quickly. None of us would disagree with that. The staff that are working on it in different organisations are working on that 24-7 uh, as we speak to make sure that we do get that increased capacity. And it is a very important part of our response. What I would go back to say is that we have the testing in place for patients who need it. We've got testing now ramping up for NHS staff. We've got uh, five drive-through um, places in place where people can drive through and have a, a nose and throat swab and uh, another four of those will come on stream this week. We've got new laboratories, one in Milton Keynes, two others come on stream to test those and get the results back to people as quickly as possible. We've got examples of hospitals where they've tested uh, and managed to get 100 or more staff back to work uh, already. That's over the last couple of days. We've got other hospitals that are struggling more to make that happen. So we've got to work with them to make sure all of that is, is happening. There's a, 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 you know, a masses going on to make sure this gets to the numbers that we need to as quickly as possible. But if you were to ask me, do I think uh, I would rather be uh, in a place where we've got many more tests already? Of course I would be. And if there were anything that we could have done to do that, we would have done it. And we're working okay. uh, around the clock to is, make sure that we do. Is there a lack of funding? We're told, you know, no expense will be spared. No. Money, you know, the, the, your your organisation, every organisation has got the money to do this. Has it therefore been a bureaucratic problem? Has it been uh, an ego issue? If it needed to be no. done and it's not being done... No. It's someone's so, fault, isn't it? 
the truth is this is not a simple process. The analogy that's been used by the Deputy Chief Medical Officer is that this is about, you know, similar to building a complex car factory that has many different components, specialist elements from different places, and you've got to bring all that together. And we've been trying to do this in about, you know, uh, two or three weeks. Uh, and it's very difficult to get all of that right as quickly as we need to. Well, how did the South Korea manage? How did Germany manage? What, what, why can't we do it? So we've been having discussions with all those countries. We had extensive discussions with Germany again yesterday to understand uh, what they've been doing and, uh, and why and how that's been working. Um, there is, of course, and there's talk about reagents, there's talk about equipment, there's talk about staff. All those are issues. We have to bring those together. The truth is that this is a global issue and the pressure on those supplies and those systems is enormous globally. We're doing everything that we okay. can and are you confident? to make sure that that testing is available for the British public as much as, 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 as is possible. And, and I am confident that that will be boosting and growing over coming days and weeks. But it's not easy. No, I don't think anyone's saying it's easy. And I think, you know, I think we uh, as a nation, we are very much behind our health service. And I think people largely are behind the government in wanting to make sure this works. But of course, it is also up to us to ask the difficult questions to make sure where there is a problem, where we can focus minds and make sure the right things are done to save lives and to also get us back to work. How soon do you think it will be before ordinary people like me, um, anyone listening who think they may have had the virus or, or not, can get themselves tested and find out whether they are safe to return to work and we can get people out and about uh, tell me, we are, we are on the 2nd of April. When do you think that we are going to see millions of people getting that test, finding out they're safe and going back to work? So I think you're absolutely right. There's you know, huge support for the NHS, actually really good support, strong support for all the actions that the government is taking at the moment. And, and, and that's critically important because we've got a, you know, a really stark choice here. We either get all this right, and that includes all the social distancing measures, which will do the and have the biggest impact on getting uh, the uh, outbreak under control and getting us to a position where the numbers come back down again. Um, and, of course, all that we need to do to support the NHS in coping with the extra demand that it will place on them with the testing and with everything else that we need to do. We've all got a part to play in that. In terms of timing, if the social distancing measures are maintained and work as effectively as we hope that they are, I think we can expect to see a plateau in the numbers of cases probably in three to four weeks' time, perhaps a little longer, perhaps not quite so long, and then the numbers will begin to come back down again. It would be a mistake to think that as soon as the numbers start coming down again, we can suddenly go back to normal because that's uh, in all my experience of dealing with infectious diseases, that's the point at which you've got to really redouble your efforts and make sure you've really sorted it. So I think it will be a little time before all those measures get back to normal. In terms of testing for all of us, of course, our first priority is on NHS staff to make sure we've got the maximum numbers of them in the workplace. Second is going to be key workers in uh, you know, the areas, the police, the food distribution, the energy companies and all of that to make sure that uh, we've got uh, as many staff in place to keep the country working in, in that way. And then it will be uh, for uh, wider ones of us to uh, have uh, tests to see if, 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 if we can get back to work. There is potentially a game changer in the antibody testing uh, but I don't want to hold too much promise out for that until we know that those that we've procured are actually doing the job that we need them to do because consistently throughout all of this is the issue that you've got to bring testing in that works and it accurately tells you 
if you've got the disease or if you've had the disease okay. or if you've not had the disease or you get into even greater problems. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. More than half a million frontline NHS staff have been tested. Germany, meanwhile, while we're testing uh, 10,000 people yesterday in total, are testing 70,000 people a day. Ongoing issues for the government. Big questions being asked and not being answered, very noticeably not being answered, about why the government is failing to ramp up testing. Both the antigen testing, whether people have got the virus now, and the antibody testing as well. Well, let's try to find out why countries like Germany are doing so much better at this. What are they doing differently? And what are the lessons we can learn? Let's talk to Tobias Kurt. He's a professor of epidemiology and director of the Institute of Public Health at Charité, which is a university medical centre in Berlin. Good morning to you, Tobias. Good morning from Berlin. Um, Thank you very much for joining us. Um, What is Germany doing differently from the UK that you are able to conduct 70,000 tests a day and we're only conducting just now uh, 10,000 tests a day? Well, it's really difficult to say. It's a question of uh, preparedness and having tests available and all the capaci- uh, capabilities to actually deliver the tests to the centers. Uh, it's not that uh, things in Germany are perfect and uh, things are perfect here in Berlin. Uh, it's it's uh, still challenging to get uh, sufficient tests for a large amount of people. Uh, so it looks like we're doing very well and I'm, and I'm pleased we can conduct so many tests, but uh, there is no clear reason uh, why we're looking so much better than the UK. Now, um, the government is- the UK has said that there's a shortage of some particular chemical, the reagents, there's a, a problem with getting tests which are actually reliable. Has Germany faced any of those issues? Uh, not so much. I mean, the, the bottleneck pretty much is also in the labs. Uh, people conducting the, the, the tests themselves uh, get sick. Uh, so we do have also bottlenecks. Uh, they're, they're, they're different from country to country. And uh, maybe in the UK, some, some agents are, are missing to produce the test. Uh, but in Germany, uh, the bottlenecks are on other ends. They're not. But we were told by the government, by Public Health England, that uh, there was a worldwide shortage of some of these uh, chemicals. But you have not in Germany experienced this worldwide shortage. 
Well, the, the, the shortage, of course, uh, we have as well. There have been uh, um, the, the slight differences of the tests and how you conduct them. And obviously, if everybody trying to, to do them, there will be the shortage worldwide that will also affect Germany, of course. Okay. Um, and in terms of, of how these tests are being carried out, um, we, we know that the German healthcare system is very different. We have a sort of a, a one, you know, monolithic uh, NHS paid for uh, by taxes. Uh, and, and it's very different from the German system, which is very decentralized. It's a social insurance-based health system. Uh, you also spend a lot more. Uh, people pay in through their uh, wages, employees pay in, employers pay in uh, to health insurance funds. And there's also a, a universal safety net provided by the state. Do you think that your system for running your healthcare service and funding it has made it easier to respond to this crisis or harder? That's a very difficult question to answer. As you said, it's decentralized. So there, the region there, they're quite well prepared. Others have followed and we're learning uh, by day and uh, also trying to adapt the system and how we react to this uh, pandemic uh, per day. In general, Germany has a pretty good system, as you as you said, and, and maybe um, the, the, the overall setup is somewhat different to other countries. Uh, but the you, you cannot just transport a, a healthcare system to another country and expect that to work right away so it's it's a, it's a it's a long run long process to really build the systems and also in germany we have to adapt and we will have to learn much more to prevent uh, the next hopefully not too soon pandemic that's coming indeed now germany though has seen uh, a far fewer deaths uh, in your country compared with other European countries, particularly the likes of uh, Italy and Spain and indeed France and the UK. Um, even though you are testing a lot more people, you're finding a lot more cases perhaps. Why are you able to be so successful in preventing so many deaths? I don't think we are successful in preventing. One first has to understand that the number you see is very difficult to compare between countries. You said that uh, we tested uh, more people. That means also we're testing more asymptomatic people who test positive. And if you have um, no symptoms, you're less likely to die. There's also um, um, a big difference in terms of the, the age of those tested positive, which are younger in, in Germany compared to Italy or France, for example. And we know that the elderly are those uh, who are at high risk of dying. There may also be a social component, uh, particularly compared to Italy and Spain. The, the elderly are less integrated in social life and living on the same roof. That means, in this case, which usually is a good thing, that uh, you have a higher risk uh, to get infected if you if you are old. And, and so maybe this, this leads to a less infection rate among the elderly. So if you would like to compare the actual death, death rate, you have to compare the death rate in the same age groups. And these data are not yet available for all of the countries. In the long run, I do not expect that the death rate will be different in Germany compared to other countries. Oh, that, that's interesting. Again, a lot of it's down to the, just the, uh, how, you know, how people live and the demographics rather than uh, your different reaction to, uh, to the, healthcare, you know, the health crisis. Can you tell us why you believe um, testing to be important? I mean, we're constantly told by our Prime Minister Boris Johnson that testing is important. This morning, a health minister, uh, well, late last night, has tweeted to say, look, testing isn't a cure. It, it's, you know, the, the priority is, 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 uh, is, is saving lives and, and finding a cure, finding a vaccine rather than testing. Why do do you believe that testing either for antigens to whether people have got the virus right now or not and uh, testing not, not people just already presenting a hospital who are very sick and testing for antibodies why do you think that that matters and why do you think that would save lives if you think it will save lives in the long run 
Yeah, it is important to identify the clusters of people who are infected and to and to isolate them. We obviously cannot have a lockdown for uh, half a year or a year or so to really um, have the pandemic run over us, if you if you wish. So identifying those clusters are important and track who is at risk. That's really really key. And also understanding who has been infected and is potentially immune against the virus. That means that that you are very less likely to spread the virus that's important to really um, start normal business again. So the test by itself obviously is not a cure, but it's an important measure to, uh, to, to keep on the preventive strategies that also are happening in the UK. Okay, well, I would so appreciate it, you taking the time to talk to us. Uh, if there's just one bit of advice just from your expertise in Germany and what's been happening in Germany and from what you know of what's happening in the UK, if you could give one bit of advice to Boris Johnson, if he were listening right now, and every reason to think that many cabinet ministers do listen to this show, um, what advice would that be? <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm not in a position to advise Boris Johnson or the, the British government. And, and I think there, as, as your colleague said, the reaction is, is now, is now the, on, a, on a good way. But I think we have to be very careful in evaluating the situation day by day and then, and then move on. Now, obviously, there's a race between the direct consequences of the virus and the indirect consequences in terms of the economic burden, which also is affecting health. And we have to really uh, carefully look at all of the components and then decide wisely and, and I'm sure uh, most most governments in the world uh, in, in also in Britain they will exactly do that well thank you very much indeed for taking the time to talk to us so appreciate your insights Tobias Kurt is a professor of epidemiology and director of the Institute of Public Health at Charity online on DAB and on the talk radio app talk radio Tonight, at 8 o'clock tonight, we're going to get our chance yet again uh, to uh, show our appreciation of all those working on the front line in the NHS, those care workers putting themselves uh, at personal risk because of this lack of uh, protective equipment uh, to try and save lives on the NHS. Uh, we're going to get to applause for uh, our NHS uh, at 8 o'clock tonight. Do come out of your homes and join in that show of appreciation for those on the front line saving lives. Uh, right now, though, let's talk about the people who are doing exactly the opposite, not trying to help during this coronavirus, not seeing what can they do to help their fellow citizens, but actually how they can take advantage of this virus, this pandemic and this lockdown uh, to get their hands on cold, hard cash. Um, international trading standards have sent out uh, advice uh, to people across the country to be aware of people who are trying to scam those uh, during this coronavirus uh, time uh, and uh, offering, for instance, uh, virus testing kits uh, for sale, offering vaccines or miracle cures, offering overpriced or fake goods to protect yourself from coronavirus, such as those uh, uh, hand sanitizers that actually have no effect whatsoever, offering to collect medication or shopping, and they're not actually uh, actually providing that service. Also offering home decontamination services, uh, which actually do nothing of the sort. Well, let's talk to Louise Baxter, who's a spokesperson at Friends Against Scams, the National Trading Standards Scams Initiative team, who joins us now. Good morning to you, Louise. Um, good morning. It's, it does really defy belief that there are people who, who look at a national pandemic, look at a death toll, you know, 563 people yesterday, look at what's going on and think, oh, I wonder how I can take advantage of this. I wonder how I can make money from this. But those people are sadly out there, aren't they? The problem that we've got is um, 
before the coronavirus, there are a huge amount of people who are vulnerable because of their circumstances and were being targeted by these organised crime groups who try and defraud people and, and steal all of their money. But what obviously we're seeing now is we're seeing even more people in who are vulnerable because of their situations. In fact, we're all probably vulnerable because of our situations at the moment. Yeah. Um, and the social isolation for it means that the, the criminals, unfortunately, are seeing this as an opportunity to target additional people and the people they were already targeting because those people are, are likely to be even more vulnerable than they were before. Yeah, and exactly. Those people are more grateful for someone offering to help. And again, you know, we're all getting in touch with our neighbours, aren't we? And, and people we know who might be vulnerable saying, do you need any help? Can I do some shopping? Anything? They'll, they'll be thinking, oh, it's how lovely someone's offering to help me out. Uh, and, and yet, yeah. of course, uh, these people are just trying to take advantage. Look, you know, I mean, it's not the majority of people. We have to accept that. It is a, a small minority, but it is organised criminals who, who think nothing of uh, selling, uh, you know, women's bodies, selling drugs, using children. Of course, they're not going to be worried about vulnerable elderly or sick people uh, and taking their money and there's more opportunities because we're all at home so people yeah. will answer their telephones people will answer their doors if you if you the statistics before 53 percent of over 65s have been targeted by a scam before this happened and we're just seeing an increase in doorstep sales we're seeing an increase and in reporting coming in around telephone scams like you said the miracle cures and people are lonely as well and also like you say grateful for that contact and grateful for somebody potentially going to help them or provide them with a, an invaluable service at this time they're playing on the panic around yeah. it so so what we're asking people to do is we're asking people to we we run a campaign called friends against scams where you can do a 20-minute online training session and learn about scams and fraud. So not only for yourself, but also for the, to try and share those messages with your neighbours, your friends, your family, and actually help them to spot the signs that they might be being targeted by a, a scammer or a criminal. And OK, so give us, give us a tip just in terms of you know, what we should be looking out for. If someone, is off, someone knocks on our door or calls us up, what should we be looking out for? Uh, so the thing that no no legitimate trader will ever rush you into making a decision. If they're legitimate and they're and they're 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 not they won't force you or or, or pressurise you into. Yeah, making you've got a to sign up today, or you won't be able to sign up. They, yeah, they, no one will exactly. say that. If they, and, and it goes back to the old adage, if it sounds too good to be true, it generally will be. So if somebody phones you up out of the blue, offering you miracle cures, um, antidotes, things that are going to increase your immune system to ensure that you're protected by the coronavirus, if it sounds too good to be true, it generally is. Yeah, I mean, that, so it's that's... out of the blue calls. It's, yeah. it's, it's asking people as well to sort of to stop and to be vigilant and to take five and to really consider what they've been offered, what they've been asked to do. Yeah, and also accept that, you, you know, it, either. it is OK to say no. Lots of people, particularly elderly Absolutely. people, brought up in a different age, don't want to offend. They don't want to appear to be rude. They also don't want to lose face in front of their family members. So we do know a lot of the times when people have been scammed, they won't actually tell their family members uh, because um, they're embarrassed. It's a shame element, which is why so one of the, the big things for Friends Against Scams is to get people talking about their own experiences of being scammed. I've been scammed before and I'm I, this is my job yeah. because at times where you've been in a situation where everybody has different periods of mental health and different periods of vulnerabilities at different times. So if you're in what's called a hot state, if you're very stressed, you don't make decisions in the same way that you would if you're not. 
So it's about people sharing their own experiences. So sh- sharing the fact that they've been scammed so that pe- it takes away that shame element. So we drive up reporting so we know what's coming in. But also that peer to peer support is completely invaluable. It allows us to talk about it and make it OK. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, there's, there's there's no shame in actually being a nice, trusting person either. That's that's not necessarily a trait we want to lose. Thank you so much for talking to us. Louise Baxter from Friends Against Scams, the National Trading Standards Scams Initiative team. Uh, if you go to their website, uh, friendsagainstscams.org.uk, you can learn a bit more about this. Do, I mean, Definitely worth discussing with your family, your friends, your neighbours, particularly those who are more likely to be vulnerable and more likely to be targeted. Very much appreciate that. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer. Weekday mornings from 6.30 on Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.